0: Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. I'm Zara, and today I'm going to be talking about the third game in BioWare's Dragon Age series, Dragon Age Inquisition. Now, I've previously done videos on Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2, which is still the worst title for a game possibly ever, or it's certainly the laziest, but those episodes were quite short and basically just covered a general content because the games themselves are quite linear. Those two, you play them once, you're basically play through the plot and there's there's not really a lot of space to go outside of that they were for Xbox 360 and while they're sort of open world-esque more um, origins because Dragon Age 2 you're basically just in the same six rooms over and over again killing spiders and frankly I can do that at home Um, but they are quite linear in terms of plots and even though there are sort of side missions and stuff you don't really get to explore a very open world so Inquisition is incredibly different it came out in 2014 it came out not only on the xbox 360 but also on the xbox one and i've actually played both versions because when i first got it i was poor and i only had um the 360 so i got the 360 version and i've now got the xbox one game of the year edition um because i have an xbox one and it's not backwards compatible, so you can't play the 360 version on your xbox one so what makes this game quite different is that it is more open world there's a lot more space and environment to explore you can basically spend about 90 hours in the hinterlands which is the first area you unlock and overall i think the first time i played the game it lasted for about 183 hours and there was still stuff that i hadn't done so there's definitely a lot more to this game than others and for that reason it is probably I think the most popular one in the series definitely the one that most people have played and again because there's a feeling in Inquisition and in the plot and how it's explained to you that you don't really have to have played the first two games uh, it's quite willing to explain things to you um, and to let you in on past lore so I think it was designed that way because obviously it's the first one coming out on the Xbox One. Um, when the console was quite new so obviously people are going to go out and go like oh what can I buy for my new console ah this has a dragon in it and you get introduced to the game in that way so for a lot of people it is the first one in the series that they have played I play them in order because I'm kind of anal like that I have to play things in order I have to read book series in order I can't just jump to the one that interests me specifically so When I came to Inquisition, it was actually my least favorite of the series because so much was different. Uh, And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But to give you a rough outline of the plot in Inquisition, you play as a character known as the Inquisitor. Basically, um, after the events of Dragon Age 2, where the Mage Rebellion kicked off, the Templars and the Mages have been at each other's throats. And the equivalent of the Dragon Age Pope has said, I'm not having this. We're going to have a big meeting, a conclave, Um, Templars and Mages are going to come to the church and we're going to talk it out and make peace. And then on the menu screen of the game, when you click new game, that church blows up and you wake up in a dungeon being interrogated by Cassandra Pentagast, last seen interrogating Varric in... Dragon Age 2, asking why you blew up the temple and why you killed the Pope and a whole mess of Templars and Mages. Uh, You also find that you've got a magic doohickey on your hand now, which is a bright green glowing mark, which is very similar to and reacting to the giant green hellscape that has appeared in the sky, which is known as the Breach. And then you spend the game kind of trying to unravel what's happened. You're picking up the pieces because obviously the leader of The church has been murdered and the whole country is already in turmoil because of this war. So you form the Inquisition, basically, to mediate between what the Chantry is doing, what the Templars are doing, and to try and fight this breach in the sky, which is spewing demons out into the world and threatening to destroy all of Thedas. Which you think more people would be interested in, but, you know, they just really want to fight amongst themselves. So there you go. In the course of doing this, you kind of pit yourself against the main villain of the the story and you become the head of the Inquisition, making you the Inquisitor. Um, And you basically have to run things. And it's probably the first game where you have a position of command because in the first one you play the hero of Ferelden and you're really only the leader of your ragtag bunch of misfits. And in the second game you are Hawk, And although at the end you do sort of become... Uh, a nobleman or woman of uh, kirkwall you are still kind of just an outside figure with you just your little gang but in this you have a castle you pass judgment on people that you've kind of arrested under your authority as the inquisition you establish camps for your inquisition for your forward scouts you gather resources for them and you use um a war table missions which are um Basically, just timed missions that you set a character on and you get rewards and it changes the world state in certain ways and changes what actual missions you get to go and participate in. So that is a lot more complex. Now, when I started playing the game, there were two major things that I hated and they really put me off the game. And the first one is unfortunately to do with magic, which is what we're all here to talk about, because that's the point of this game being included on the podcast. So you can still play as a mage that controls basically the same. You have a magic stick and you have various schools of magic. Unfortunately, since the first and second games, those schools of magic have been pared down drastically. There used to be um, quite a few. So you had ice, lightning, fire and then blood magic, creation magic, entrophic magic, primal magic, spirit magic, force magic, elemental magic, which covers fire, ice and lightning arcane magic nature magic in this there are only four (laughs) so uh, you start the game being able to do ice fire lightning and spirit magic Uh, spirit is essentially useless you can get do mind blast and that's about the only active power you have Uh, the rest are just sort of barrier spells and revival spells Uh, and the others are just you know standard setting things on fire electrocuting things or freezing them and you'll play through most of the game like that and then When you become the Inquisitor and sort of get halfway, you can do an additional side quest to acquire another single type of magic. So you can become a Knight Enchanter, you can become a Fade Mage or you can become a a Necromancer. These are specialisations that the other mages that you recruit during the game will already have. You have to find items to craft something specific to get into all of these and that can be quite irritating and time consuming because you have to keep going back to the same area and checking for different monster drops to make them so it's quite limiting being a mage and that upset me just a a teeny bit but um the second thing that annoyed me was that basically the first part of the game you find out what caused the explosion at the temple and that was a dude called Corypheus who has spiky shit coming out of his face and he shows up and he's very scary and he has a big dragon and then Varric says oh I remember Corypheus me and hawk fought Corypheus and I was like Did you? Because I don't remember doing that at all. And I was Hawk for ages. Um, And then Hawk shows up and Hawk actually will look like, uh, if you can be bothered to redesign your Hawk, will look like your Hawk from Dragon Age 2. Except the specific face tattoo that I'd had in Dragon Age 2 wasn't available. So I guess Hawk got like laser tattoo removal. Hawk shows up and says, oh yeah, we fought Corypheus that time that I fought him. And I thought I'd killed him, but apparently I didn't. I was like, well, this fucking never happened. So I went away and Googled it. And apparently you fight Corypheus in the DLC for Dragon Age 2. Unfortunately, Dragon Age 2 was pretty much universally recognized as being the worst game in the series. And basically no one played the DLC for it. Because why would you want to play more Dragon Age 2? I did eventually get the DLC and play it because, you know, I quite enjoy Dragon Age 2. It's all right. But I wasn't the only one who had no idea who Corypheus was by the time they got to the third game. So it's generally not recommended, I guess, to have the main villain of your third game be someone who people will only know if they've paid for the uh, additional downloadable content. Another character that you recruit actually onto your team is uh, Cole, who is a sort of maybe ghost spirit man. And he is actually a character from one of the novels that uh, is released in conjunction with the Dragon Age series. And again, it's like you're just going to introduce characters from like peripheral stuff that not everyone is going to want to pay five dollars to have like read the book. Not everyone wants to read books about games. So I feel like the games need to be able to stand on their own. And I'm not saying that it can't do that, but it does annoy me because it's like, oh, okay, if you really want to understand this character and their motivation, you have to go and read this book. So there's that. Now, I, having played the 360 version, I thought that the, the graphics were perfectly adequate. A little bit buggy sometimes. Also, sometimes people's like facial textures would show up maybe five minutes after they did. But aside from that, it was a pretty good looking game. When I got the Xbox One version... I wouldn't say there was like a huge difference like you could definitely play the 360 version without it looking like butt cheeks but the xbox one version is definitely fuller in the sense that there's more like plants and trees and textures and there's like butterflies flying around and there's just generally a bit more detail to it um there's a lot more like in the way of 3d background things in it like plants and rocks and things to the extent that even though i've played the game like five times on the 360 before i got the xbox one version i still get lost because now there's like bushes that weren't there before which is pretty cool this is also a game that has a lot more um, openness in terms of the plot there are choices you make in the game that can kind of not drastically change what happens but they can change it quite a bit Uh, one of the first choices major choices that you make in the game is when you're looking for extra power to try and close the massive sucking sky hole that's coming for you and everyone you love and you can either choose to side with the mages or the templars because both of them have magical talents that can help and i think basically everyone sided with the mages and i think the game developers kind of expected people to because who would side with the templars but i did because i'd already played the game a number of times playing with the mages and i was like oh, well i want to make the opposite choice i want to see what the game does and when you side with the mages you will spend the majority of the game fighting red templars who are templars who instead of taking regular blue lyrium to um, give them their magical powers they've been taking red lyrium which is evil and like asbestos kind of grows on you and turns you into like an evil spiky monster And if you side with the Templars, you would assume that maybe you would be fighting mages for the majority of the game. Perhaps red mages who are drawing their magical powers from red Lyrium. So you will be surprised to learn that you end up fighting red Templars anyway. It makes sense if you've sided with the mages that all your enemies would basically be Templars. But when you side with uh, the Templars, you end up fighting mages and also other Templars so that doesn't really make a huge amount of sense to me and it annoyed me quite a lot because it felt like not a lot of effort had been put into the other half of that choice. This game also had like a lot more added stuff into it in that you can now play as a kunari, which um, are basically really tall cow horned Giants, and the first thing I did was obviously play as a kunari. Love being a kunari. You also have a different voice, you can choose between two female voices and two male voices. So you can actually play the game four times before you have to like start redoing dialogue, which is quite good. And you also get much more varied companions. You get, for example, a new kunari companion who is called the Iron Bull, who is voiced by. Freddie Prince Jr. for some reason, uh, who is romanceable as well. So for the first time, you could romance a Kunari. You still can't romance Varric, so I'm taking points away for that. Uh, you also get a lot of new characters um, to be your followers, um, because obviously Dragon Age 2 kind of reused some characters like uh, Anders and Merrill, who had appeared briefly in Origins, and Isabella as well this has a lot more new characters. You have Cassandra, who who was in Dragon Age 2, but not as a playable character. Uh, she's the first warrior that you get. Varric, again, I'm kind of undermining my own point here. New characters. Solas uh, is a mage who is bald and kind of a dick. I don't really like Solas. I know a lot of people do, but I don't know why. Uh, you also get Dorian, who is a mage from Tavinta, which is interesting and new and he's gay and absolutely wonderful and I love him and he is my baby and he's just so fun to have around um you also get vivienne who is the first person of color i think that you could have on your like team which is pretty cool and that it's a woman of color it's unfortunate that her character is awful Um, basically she is a mage who thinks that mages belong in the circle and under Templar control except not her because she's fancy and she has a mansion in Orle, so she's very one percent and I don't really like her that much. She's also Orlesian which you know come on. You also pick up Sarah who is a elf archer and kind of an anarchist as well. She has quite an annoying voice so I don't tend to take her places. You get Cole who is the kind of ghost boy who is all right i guess i don't usually take him anywhere either to be honest (laughs) uh you get iron ball as i've already mentioned as well so there are quite a number of like new companions and they're quite nice to take around it's also the first game where romantic partners don't just have a gender preference they also have a race preference so oh i forgot about black wall you also have black wall he's a character that you have in your party again I don't really take him anywhere so I kind of forgot about him anywho um so taking Blackwall as an example he has I think a preference for um women only women and I think it's elf women or human women not dwarven or Kunari. I could be wrong about that uh, Solus is an elf he will he will only date elf women Sarah doesn't really like elves and I think prefers women so you 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 kind of have to pick quite carefully when you're making your character uh, based on who you want to romance in the game. The game also includes elements of you gather herbs which you have done in previous games but this time you actually do more stuff with them and you make new potions and stuff which are very helpful and there's a lot more of an emphasis on that. You also craft equipment and you can I found it really exciting to, you know, go out there and kill a big dragon and then drag, you know, its skin back to HQ to cut up and make a little coat. So that was nice. Another feature that's added in that I literally never use is the fact that you can now have a horse. And I think that's because it's quite an open world environment. This is something I also don't like because you get the one horse. uh, You can kind of change it for different animals. There are like giant uh, nugs and moose and uh, the bog unicorn which is a skeleton horse with a sword through its head which is quite cool but you only get the one which means that when you get on your horse the rest of your party disappear and you don't get any party dialogue as you're walking around which is usually quite you know amusing of your characters sort of talking to each other and i don't use the horse because i don't want to miss out on that Uh, also because the horse can be quite frustrating to try and maneuver around the environment And because they've given you a horse, they've also not given you a run button. You kind of move at the same steady jog at all times, except when you're in combat, when you have your weapon out and then you move slightly slower um, with the sort of feeling like you're dragging a large invisible rock behind you, which I don't appreciate. So uh, that's a bit annoying. And I kind of wish that they had put in a run button in um, Mass Effect Andromeda, which is sort of the equivalent game in the mass effect series also by bioware you have a car which you can drive around the larger environments and party dialogue can take place when you're in the car you get like specific dialogue for when you're in the car and i kind of understand that it would have been very difficult to animate a full party of people on different horses following you because that's just asking for trouble but i think it would have been nicer if when your party disappeared you could still kind of hear the party dialogue as you were going around or something like that which would make it feel a bit less um quiet and lonely on those long journeys between camps having said all that i do actually like inquisition it's probably the game that i replayed most out of the series simply because i think the gameplay has evolved since the first game so combat is now a lot less annoying and clunky it kind of flows quite well and the places that you get to go are really interesting you get to visit uh, Val Royo in Orlay and also the Winter Palace which is where the Empress of Orlay lives you get to visit lots of different locations that previously we've only heard about because um, usually everything took place in either Ferelden or in Kirkwall and now you get to go to different places in both Ferelden and Orle, which is very interesting. You also get to meet quite a lot of characters. There's a lot more story kind of pushed in and a lot more interesting level design and quests that you have to do. It's not just sort of going places and killing things. There is like a whole mission section where you're... Going around the Winter Palace and talking to people and it's very espionage, it's very kind of court intrigue. There isn't really a lot of fighting until the end. It's more about investigation and trying to work out a political situation, which is cool, I think. It definitely kind of breaks the game up and changes the pace a little bit. The game is already a lot longer than Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2. But it also has three pieces of DLC that you can purchase. And I got these as part of the Game of the Year edition. I don't think you can actually get them for the 360 version. um, Because I guess they just really wanted people to buy the more expensive one. Uh, But they are the Jaws of Hakon, The Descent and Trespasser and trespasser is actually what i would call less of a dlc and more of like the end game because it does contain quite a lot of things that are relevant to the plot of the main story and it does go on for quite a while so it has this kind of idea that it's like an epilogue to the game that you do definitely need to play to understand the plot of dragon age 4 whenever that comes out The Descent is about a series of earthquakes that have been affecting the Deep Roads which is where the Dwarves live and you travel down through the Deep Roads to find out about the cause of the earthquakes and along the way you discover quite a lot about Dwarven history and about the origins of Lyrium and Dwarven magic and various other things that have been alluded to in the game series so far but not discussed a huge amount so I found that really interesting and It definitely built upon some ideas that I'd had about Dwarven life and various things like that. The Jaws of Hakon involves going to the Avar Basin. You have heard, I think, about Avar people and the Chastened um, in other games, but never actually really met any of them. Uh, You meet some in Inquisition, but they're in Ferelden. But this is going to their lands, and I think it's probably the most beautiful place that you get to go in terms of dlc it's very pretty it's sort of slightly rainforest-esque um and there's a lot of stuff in there about the previous inquisitor from the previous inquisition because there have been two and you are the second one Um, and again it's just nice to kind of safari around and see new creatures and new places and to get to meet different races of people like I said, the Trespasser DLC that takes place post Inquisition storyline. It's very much about what happens to the Inquisition once the major threat from the game is defeated, because spoiler alert, you win. And it expands upon a revelation from the end of the game, which, spoiler alert, uh, Solus, who is one of your companions, turns out to be one of the elven gods, the Dreadwolf, and it was actually his artifact that was responsible. Um, that allowed Corypheus who's the main bad guy to be able to blow a hole in the sky at the beginning of the game and then you find that at the end of Inquisition and Trespasser is you confronting him um and learning about his history and the history of the elven people which again very interesting very building on the lore. uh although it does go into that thing of I said before of it's kind of annoying when some of the main important story things that I feel are going to be relevant to maybe the next game when it comes out or in DLC that you have to pay extra for but I guess that's just the kind of tightrope you have to walk when you're building such an expanded universe and such a big series. I would dearly love to see another game come out now latterly on the xbox one because i feel like they could do a lot more with graphics even than they did in inquisition and that they could build on some of the stuff that we learned in the previous game i would like to visit tovinta i would like to meet some dwarves who can actually do magic now i think this would be very cool but i am starting to worry that there will be an entirely new console generation before we get another Uh, game from Bioware in the Dragon Age series or indeed the Mass Effect series because they seem to be very intently developing Anthem at the moment which I don't want and couldn't give a toss about really but I definitely want Dragon Age 4 give me Dragon Age 4. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember you can get in touch on Twitter at witchfix or by email which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com and you can talk to me about how you are enraged that I didn't even talk about Cullen in this whole episode. You could also support me on Patreon and help me to I guess save up for the special immersion pod consoles that we're going to have to get before we can play Dragon Age 4 whenever that comes out. And the link for that is in the description box below. Remember, you can also catch up on YouTube as well as on Castbox. So pick whichever is best for you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.